Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey Jody, I love that new intro, don't you? That is the best. How much did we have to pay those announcers? Um, I think we paid them in candy. Excellent. Actually, Excellent. so Excellent. that's why my cabinet is is empty. <laughs> <laughs> For all of those, uh, all of you out there who heard our intro, we have a new intro and outro. Uh, we did a podcast uh, last week with our daughters. Uh, hopefully, you folks are are listening on a regular basis and have heard it already. We'd love to get your feedback. Send us an email or post on Facebook, and we'd love to have your feedback on the uh, on the new intro and outro. Um, but we'll jump right into the topic. Uh, for today. Um, today we're going to discuss home buying, um, specifically home buying within your means and how to make sure you don't overbuy and right size your home purchase. Um, in the past we've, we've talked about real estate and this topic um, I believe and Jody I think you're in the same boat, we believe it probably needs a little bit more attention because this is the one thing that could really wreck or really improve your financial future. Don't you agree? 100 percent yeah it's it's the it, it's the biggest thing you'll ever buy right a home if you're gonna buy your home it's the biggest thing you'll ever buy so you you have to make sure that you don't make a huge mistake and Paul we'll probably get into this I have made huge mistakes in my home buying history uh, and we'd love to just in the spirit of the podcast you know pass along the mistakes that we've made to hopefully help people not make the same ones we did Yep, and I'm going to jump in with kind of my background on this, right? So we're going to dig a little deeper today into this whole topic. So um, my history has been I've owned one condominium and I've bought one house. Uh, the condominium uh, we bought uh, together and then once we sold it, we were able to buy the home that we're in today. Um, and we almost bought a home um, before the one that we're in now. And that home was in the same town, uh, but it was significantly more money at the time, and it also needed a significant amount of work. If I remember correctly, uh, definitely landscaping, which was probably the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, the kitchen was kind of old. The bathrooms were kind of old. Um, when I look back on it, it was a great property, great neighborhood. But there was just something about it that just felt a little bit too expensive. And when I started adding up the numbers back then, between the work that it needed and the additional money that it would require to buy it, we held back and we moved and waited uh, for the next deal, moved on, waited for the next deal. And then we were happy that we actually walked away from that deal because the house we're in now um, didn't need a lot of work uh, and was also uh, less money than that house. And you know, everyone who's been listening to our podcast knows the result. Uh, we've been able to pay off the mortgage and we've been mortgage-free for a couple of years now. But at the end of the day, we were happy to wait to walk away from that deal. And the funny part was that that more expensive house, we were pre-approved by the mortgage companies at that time for much higher. Like we could have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars more on a house. And we chose not to. We made a conscious decision not to go deeper into debt and try to buy what I'll call within our means. So we bought in 2004, we were happy we made that call because when you started getting into 2008, 2009, the economy started getting a little wobbly, um, things were not that good. I am so happy that we didn't have 
the extra big payments and the risk of having to build out new kitchens and replace roofs and all these different things. So, so Jody, I, I don't think I've made any mistakes when it came. Well, no, that's that's probably not the right, right way to put it. That's for another <laughs> podcast. Hard stop. Hard yeah, stop. Yeah, it's a hard stop because I think if I had to do it again, hmm, that's probably for another podcast. There are things about this home that I wish maybe I had waited for maybe one more uh, a little bit longer to find another home, but that's for another podcast. Let's just put it this way. I'm very happy with the home we're in. Um, and, and you know, so I'm pretty happy with the decision we made. So, Jody, what's your current situation? I know that you've had several uh, homes, and uh, let's go into what your background was, and then we could jump into the topics for the day. I think, Paul, just to, uh, before I get into that, I want to just put an exclamation point on on what you said. Number one, again, we always congratulate you on paying off your mortgage. Thank Insert you. Congratulations sound effects here. <laughs> we'll do that in post. Yes. Um, but uh, in, in all seriousness, the other thing you just said was, um, you know, there are lots of things that I would have done differently. You said something to that effect just now, right? It's sort of had I had I waited or had I done this, but I could have. Uh, the reality about I think about buying real estate, whether it's an apartment, a co-op, a, a, a house, a farm, a winery, you know, whatever you're buying, there's always going to be that little. Well, that's not quite right. Um, and I think the thing that the the perspective that I have on real estate, on buying real estate, is you're never going to find the perfect thing to buy. What you need to focus on are buying the things, and I've said this in the past. Buy the things you can't change. Buy your zip code. Buy your school district. Buy the street that it's on, the lot size, all those different types of things because those are the things you have no power to change. You can change the paint color in the living room. You can put a new roof on the house. You can put a swing set in the backyard. You can do all of those things to change the actual house, upgrade the house, change, upgrade it. You know, I don't know why you would make it smaller, but you know, change it in whatever way you want to change it. Um, Buy the things you I always look uh, and the advice that I give to people is buy the things you can't change. Um, and so, like you said, uh, I've owned four home. I've been at the closing table seven different times in my life, four purchases, three sales. Um, I've I've owned two different separate all at different times. I don't want you to think oh, I'm a, like a real estate maven here. Uh, I owned a co-op <laughs> in New York City. Um, I owned a second co-op later in New York City, moved from one to the other. Then I moved to a, a house in the suburbs of New York City and now into the house on Long Island that we have that we're in now. Um, and so I've been at that closing table a bunch of times, relied on some very good professionals in terms of real estate agents and lawyers who help you through that and accountants who help you through that. Um, and um, I, I think some mistakes that I've made along the way and probably that I've uh, that I've learned from is is absolutely getting house fever. The house that we were in before this one um, was the first time that I was buying a house versus an apartment. You know, a co-op in New York City is, you know, a one or two bedroom apartment, um, essentially. Um, but the, the house we were in before this one, we got house fever. We had some money that we wanted to put into the house, you know, that kind of fell from the sky um, through a job of my wife's. Um, and we're like, oh, we're going to buy this big, beautiful house. It's a brand new house. It's a spec house. We're going to get it. We're going to move to the suburbs and we're going to have a family. We didn't have kids at the time either. It was like two people buying a four and a half bedroom house. Like, what were we thinking? Um, and we ended because we ended up being house poor. Um, you know, a new house 
um, is can be great. You're like, oh, you don't have to do anything in it. Well, yeah, but you need landscaping and you need paint and you need furniture and you need all this other stuff. And um, and we ended up getting into a place after we had our first child of budgeting out over the course of, you know, a couple of years. And I looked at it and I saw I think I've told this story before. I, I saw the exact week that our budget drove off a cliff mm. and I said, we can't get there. We absolutely cannot be there. If we get there, we won't pay the mortgage that month. Um, it was that precise. And so we very expeditiously moved to unload that house, took a bit of a bath, pulled our finances together, and we transitioned into the house that we are in now. Far smaller mortgage payment. Um, you know, in that house, we had also run up a HELOC. I don't recommend getting any type of a HELOC or home equity loan on your house unless you absolutely have to and you have a plan to pay it off. Um, we were not smart with that house at all. And um, and so now we we like I said, we 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 have the scars to show it. Um, but we got into the house that we're in now. and We're in a far better financial scenario. Um, we can talk about this, Paul, a little bit. You know, there are there's this this adage of, you know, oh, well, it, you know, you're throwing away your money on rent or um, it costs less to own a house than it does to to rent an apartment or rent a house or whatever. And those are not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we can probably we can probably discuss that here. Yep, absolutely. And I remember that first home you had out in Long Island. It was beautiful. It was an awesome house. I remember it that. It was great. It was a really nice house. And then I remember when we started talking way before we started doing the podcasts, um, about the whole concept of the downsizing, right? So for you guys, you guys were, you made a conscious decision at some point, you know, to downsize. And it's kind of related to all these pieces that you talked about. But maybe you could tell us a little bit more in depth about the downsizing process and really, you know, a little bit deeper into what brought you there and kind of the process to downsize. And, and of course, you know, maybe touch a little bit upon the net result. Well, the, I mean, the the reason we downsized is, is like I said, the alarm bells went off. I, I budgeted my spreadsheet. You know, I looked at my spreadsheet. I I went out. I think it was like 18 months. Um, you know, when you plug in all the expenses you're going to have, and I saw the exact week that our budget went negative, and it never went back positive, like never. And I was like, okay, so we don't get to buy food anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I said, I, that, that can't happen, clearly. <laughs> I joke about it, but like that can't. And we had this, I had this moment of panic. We talked about financial panic on the podcast. Um, like, okay, we got to fix this. We have this much time to fix it. Let's go. And I went to my wife and I showed her the spreadsheet and her eyes got wide. I was like, oh, okay, we're, we got to go. She's like, yeah, we got to go. Let's go. Let's do this. Uh, pardon me. <clears throat> No, no worries. But it, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't do what you, you know, don't do that. But yeah, keep going. This is, uh, this is all great stuff. So, we, so then we just, you know, we, we searched around and, and um, we ended up moving into a long story short, we ended up moving to a house that is literally three quarters of a mile away from the house we used to live in. And I can drive by that other house anytime I want. And every time I drive by, I look at it and I go, I'm so glad I don't live there anymore. Um, <laughs> even though the house that we're in now that house was built in 2006. The house that we're in now was built in 1956. Mm -hmm. and I'm probably being generous. Um, you know, it's it's older, it's smaller, it's uh, but not uncomfortably so. Um, it, but it's got a better backyard. It's in a better school district. It's on a nicer street. Um, it's everything that we really wanted in in a house. And 
we have taken the last we've been here what eight years um you know we just finished another renovation project in the living room which really just came down to some cosmetic improvements um you know a little bit of a little bit of elbow grease on my part with some moldings and things like that um but boom, we feel like we're living in a brand new house, you know, because it all look, you look around and it all looks new and feels new. Now you go outside my house, you look at the shingles and the roof, and you're like, oh, you live in an old house, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get there, you know, we'll get there. But we'll get there. I, and then I think here's the important part and pivot back to the mission of the podcast. We'll get there when our finances are ready to take us there. We'll get there in a way that is far more financially confident than just rushing out and throwing stuff on a credit card and not having a plan to pay it off or taking a HELOC and like I did in the last house and not having a plan to pay it off, just saying, oh, great, it's, you know, it's it's whatever percent over 15 years and no problem. Well, a lot can happen to your financial picture over the course of 15 years. Um, and in today's economy, I can, uh, I can almost guarantee that none of us are going to have the same job in 15 years that we have today. Mm -hmm. um, and even if it's at the same place, it's not going to look and feel the same that it pr does today, probably. So you've got to really I, – I have this approach to finances of being very realistic and counting on, on, on only what I know I can count on and trying to plan for the rest, but not putting too much stock in what's going to happen two years from now because I don't know with, with accuracy, with any kind of accuracy, what's going to happen two years from now, uh, let alone 10 or 15 from now. So that's that's how I've approached our finances, and that that attitude is translated into into real estate and how we approach real estate. So yeah, things are good. Things are good on the home front right now. That's great. That's great. And I think I'm with you. I I usually plan for the worst case scenario. So and that kind of comes down to maybe planning the right sizing, we'll call it. And and I think for us, when we started looking at homes, and and I'm going to kind of tie some of these things you talked about. You're not going to get everything on your wish list. Um, but there are key components like school and location. And and for us, the house ticked a lot of those boxes for us that we're in now. So the price was right. It was in the school district we wanted. It was on a cul-de-sac street. We're not at the end of the cul-de-sac, but we're not on the busy street corner either. Um, so, you know, we hit the balance of a lot of things that we were looking for in a home. And the most important part about that was writing it all down. I sat with my wife and we wrote down on a piece of paper, you know, what are we looking for when we're going to buy this house? And and really summarizing what you're looking for, where you want to be, the location, the schools, etc. But more importantly, what is our max budget? What are we willing to pay? What is that range? Because like you said before, you get house fever, you could easily start inching up towards the upper end of your range and, and beyond. So for us, it was really about making that list, uh, you know, checking it twice, if you want to use uh, holiday parlance here. But um, we really did make that list and really verify these are the important things that we needed to get out of a home. And for us, it was like we got to be in a great school district because we know uh, we had our we had our uh, our son was just born at the time. We knew we wanted to be in a great school system. That was that was probably the highest priority for us. Location. Uh, probably second highest and wanted to make sure that we were, you know, in a certain part of the town or um, in a place that we were comfortable with uh, traffic wise and everything else. And we've talked about this on other podcasts and you've said it earlier in this podcast. Uh, we didn't get perfection. There were things that I found in the home uh, when we moved in. I said, ah, OK, yeah, it got me. But that's OK. They weren't insurmountable. 
Um, and at the end of the day, I think right-sizing and, and putting that due diligence up front into the planning of buying the home allowed us to be financially uh, set. And you're on that same track now, and I think you put it perfectly. You could upgrade as needful and as your finances permit, which I think is great. Nothing in your house is stopping you from living there. Everything looks fine. And as you get and move forward in your lives in that house, you'll be able to upgrade this or replace these shingles, whatever that is. But you could do it on your time, your schedule, your financial schedule, which I think is the most important. So yeah, you can't you you're totally right. And you can't be it's it's this phrase that you don't understand until you understand it. House poor. You can't be house poor. You know, you can't there there's this there's this financial equation about, you know, not spending more than what is it, a quarter of your monthly income on your house payment. I think in the New York area, that's probably closer to like 40 or 50, even 50 percent. Mm-hmm. But but if but if you even if you're if you're over 50 percent on you know, what you're paying to live in your house, you're not doing anything else. <laughs> you're oh, really true. not doing anything else in life because and that's the other thing that I wanted to sort of maybe touch upon here is this this myth or this adage of, you know, it's it's cheaper to buy than to rent. Not necessarily because and, and this was the case w- with moving into the house that we're in. We're in before now. Um you know, this this big house this 4000 square foot house. And I think I was including the basement. But, you know, they're all plans. You walk in there and there's a there's a nine foot ceiling basement. And you're like, we're going to put a game room down here. We're going to movie theater. and It's going to be amazing. And we're going to get a treadmill. We'll never have to go to the gym. We're going to save so much money on the gym. And they don't tell you about the eight hundred dollar a month oil bill it takes to heat that mm. house. <laughs> yes. They yes. don't tell yes. you that the that the ta- that the taxes and I've told this story before, too, that the taxes that are computed on that lot, that empty lot, are going to triple or quadruple in year two because now there's a house built on the empty lot. And the first taxes that you're looking at are the taxes assessed on an empty lot. Um, they don't tell you all these other things that are going to come along with taking care of this house. Um you know, whether you hire a landscaper to cut the cut the lawn or you go out and you buy a lawnmower and cut it yourself and then you keep the, you know, the, the engine oiled and the blade sharpened and the, there's just all this other stuff that goes along with owning a house that you really, really need to stop and think about and put down on paper. You said it, Paul, you know, you got to write this stuff down. You got to say, OK, here's the house payment, but here's the taxes. Um, here's the um, insurance. Here's the, all these other things that just you don't need when you rent a home. Um, I remember our what was it? Our electric bill. I think we were <laughs> something ridiculous when we were in a co-op. We we're paying like thirty dollars a month for an electric bill. That electric bill went to like one hundred and fifty bucks when we moved into a house. Yeah. You know, if you're not thinking about that, you go, oh, it's going to be great. You know, we're going to own a house. Yeah. And you're going to own all the bills that go along with it. So just write it all down and, and be careful before you jump. Yep. Typically, and you hit it on the head, the bigger the house, bigger the property, the more money you're likely going to spend on those incidentals. So if you were paying for a landscaper to cut your lawn and you have a small lawn um, and then you buy a house that has double the property size, well, guess what? Most likely your landscaping bill is going to be double of what you paid for before. But I think the biggest gotcha, which a lot of people don't take the time to sit down, and you said it uh, earlier in the podcast, is the real estate taxes. The real estate taxes are, I think, are one of the biggest things you have to account for when you're buying a home. That should be the second question you ask besides how much is the house, right? 
How much is the house? How much are the taxes? I always would say that. And when I look at any piece of real estate, even now, and I tell other friends and family, be careful of those taxes because chances are they are not going down. They're only going to go up. Historically, they just go up and they continue to climb. And Jody, I know me, uh, yourself, and myself, we're in the same boat. We're in heavily taxed uh, counties within the East Coast. And I think some will say that we might be in the highest in the country when it comes to real estate taxes. We're definitely one of them, yeah. Yeah, if not top 10, right? Uh, Westchester County, in your county, it's just, that's just the way it is. So I always tell other folks that always look at the taxes, make sure that when you add up that monthly payment, you account for your taxes, you count for your home insurance, you account for the utility bill. You really have to do that math accurately and, and, you, and, and you pointed it out, if you're buying a new construction home, you have to search and you have to figure out with the town what your taxes will be once you buy the home and move in and then add 30% to it and account for the worst case, case scenario. You Assume bet. that it's going to be way higher than you're even quoted. And, you'll have, and you won't be able – because at the end of the day, if you add up all those numbers and they, they equal 60 70% of your monthly income, <laughs> wow, that is yeah. a heart stopper. That is, that is crazy. But people do it. And I have, we have friends, uh, we, I, you know, you, you gave the example at the beginning, and thank you for giving the example, Jody. You, you, you know, you probably could have weathered the storm in your old house, but you made that conscious decision to say, you know what, we want to be able to go on a vacation. We need to be able to buy a car. We need to be able to do these things in life that just won't be, you know, and the house won't be just sucking you dry of all your financials. I appreciate you saying so, Paul, but it wasn't even that. It was no joke. It was, we won't be able to pay the mortgage on this house because I had a mortgage. I had a HELOC. We had two car payments. We had all the other things, you know, utilities and, and food, and we had new baby coming, or I think maybe he was already born, but you know, you were right there. Um, it, it was not the extras in life. It was the necessities in life. And I was looking at that budget going, I won't with this house, I will not even be able to afford the house and everything that goes along with it. We must get out of here. It was literally that I'll use the word panicked, but it was literally that much. I mean, I had, I knew I had the time to do it. It wasn't tomorrow, but it was that dire. I said, we, we cannot stay in this house. We will be unable to stay in this house. We'll be, we'll, we'll get foreclosed on. We'll be out. So that was it. And, and what that did too was it then it opened up, you know, they say like one door opens, another door closes, one door closes, another door opens. But, but in all seriousness too, I wish we had moved into this house first um, because I love the house that we're in now. As old as it is with all the problems that are in it, um, it's smaller. Um, you can hear people in the house. I can hear my kids no matter what room they're in. I know I couldn't hear my kids in that other house that we were in. Um, there's this saying that I've heard in the past about um, – when you when families are made by bumping into each other in the hallway or something like that, hmm. uh, someone so have some someone post on our Facebook page what that phrase is. But I've heard that in the past. Uh, it might be in a country song. I don't know. But the point is, is that I think too that um, while everybody needs the you know their own little space, at the same time you don't want to be so far away from, especially when you're raising kids, you want to be so far away from each other that you can't hear each other. 
that you don't see each other, that you, you know, that you're not, you know, you want to be a little bit on top of each other because that's what makes, uh, to me, that's what makes a family, um, is, is, is that together time. And even if, you know, one's in their room and the other's in their room and my wife and I are on the couch, we're all doing our own thing. We're all still kind of in the same space and we're no more than, you know, 30 feet from each other anyway. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, and that's so insightful because it, it reminds me of the home I grew up in, which was very small. I think the home I grew up in was 800 square feet, maybe 8, 850, and it was very tight. So I understand what you're talking about. It really does promote closeness. I think at 800 square feet, and nothing wrong with 800,000, I mean 800 square foot house, um, but for me, it might have been too tight and I wanted a little bit bigger when I bought a house. But it was it was kind of funny because you're right. You could hear everything going on and there's no secrets in that house, right? <laughs> the smaller the house, right. the, more to, right. the closer you are. <laughs> because I remember one night and I'm just going to – a friend of mine, if he ever listens to this podcast, he's going to remember this and he'll laugh when he hears it. But long story short, the house was so small that you know, me and my brother were on the upper floor. My father, my parents were in the lower floor. Uh, my, my buddy was hanging out. We we're watching TV one night. This is like high school days or maybe early college. And he was uh, coming down the steps to leave the house. And he, he slipped on the steps. And my father came out like it, like he just turned on the lights. And my friend's lying at the bottom of the steps. And my father's <laughs> screaming at him in his underwear. Uh, my father's not had his underwear on, right? Like, and he's just screaming at him. And my friend's like in shock, you know, but that was uh, – it's funny. You brought that memory up and, and, the, and the closeness. So that's a very interesting concept. I think the idea is to find a home where you're comfortable with that closeness. I think for me, um, I, you're right. I am right-sized at this point uh, with the size of our house. It's, it's small enough to heat without – it heats efficiently. Um, we can take care of the landscaping efficiently. Um, the kids are within earshot. So all these things, I think, make the home, and this was a topic I wanted to touch upon, was the kind of utility of the home. What is really the home for? And I think you said it best is it's really a home is where the family is living. You're doing your living in this home. And do you need, you know, this extravagant, you know, sized home to do, to live properly? And I, that's up to everyone's personal preference and taste. But for me, um, I think the home is all about the utility of the home. You got a decent kitchen. The the home is warm. Um, The kids are within earshot. Uh, The power works well. You're in a decent neighborhood. Those are the fundamentals that when you're looking at right-sizing your home, you should really be focused on, at least in my opinion. It's a good phrase to use, right-sizing. It just occurred to me, Paul. Right-sizing the home. It's right for you. Right. Yeah. It's not it's not right for everybody. It doesn't have to be. It's right sized for you and your family. Um, so so assess the specifics of what you and your family need and then go out in search of that home. And that includes how much it costs, where it's located, what it gives you um, and, and make sure that it's going to work for you in the long run, however long run you define that as, um, but make sure that it's right for you. Yep. Very good call out because I, that's why I kept saying for us, and there are people that will look at your home or my home and say, man, that's too small or that's too big. Right. It, it really well, is. And they might look at it to... like we have, we have a couple sets of stairs right now for other people. Um, they may not want stairs. That's something really simple. Right. Um, and we have friends who have uh, a house not far from us. 
um, and they have a ranch. And every time I go in their house, I'm like, oh, you don't have any stairs. This place is awesome. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I, <right. just, laughs> I just I have discovered that I don't like stairs. Um, and and, you know, no joke. We all get older. Right. Hopefully. Well, we all get older or we don't. Um, someday I may not be able to climb those stairs and that may be a problem, but it's not today. Yep. Yep. And a couple other topics I think I want to hit on or we should hit on before we close the podcast. But one is uh, we hit upon it at the beginning. We've talked about it in other podcasts, uh, location and schools. I think you want to keep in mind that no matter what you buy, make sure you kind of keep the end game in mind. So at some point you may want to sell that home. Your family may want to sell that home one day. At some point that whole, that home will be sold. And to maximize your resale value down the line, you always want to make sure that when you're buying a home, you're, you're buying the location, like you said, you're buying the schools, you're buying the things that people will find valuable, and hopefully that'll keep your resale value up down the line. And some of those things are out of your control, but as much as you can control it, I think that you really need to make sure that you keep uh, a tight hold on kind of the location in schools. I think those are the two big factors in, in terms of making sure that your resale value is, is good down the line. What are your thoughts on that, Jody? Agree. I'll go back to what I originally said. You, you buy the things you can't control. Um, buy, buy the schools, buy the zip code. Um, and by that, I mean sort of where it's located, the amenities that surround you, um, the, the town, really, the town and its structure, because the town is going to define your, your real estate taxes, too. Take a look at the history of the real estate taxes. How much have they gone up, you know, in general? Not just on your house, maybe, but in general in the, in the town over the last 10 years. You can get all those things. Just call up town hall um and 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 get a you know you can get copies of the budget you can get anything you want do the research got to do the research that's perfect yep and and one other topic that i want to touch upon is realist realtors right so i was lucky in in both purchases of the homes i i bought um, i had a, a good realtor wasn't applying a lot of pressure to buy outside of our means but i know that i've heard other people and and actually there was one realtor that I dealt with early on that we had to we had to move away from because the pressure to buy and the pressure to buy outside of our means um, just I felt uncomfortable and we moved on quickly. So if you feel that type of pressure and your gut's telling you that this realtor is trying to push you into something you clearly can't afford, um, make sure you 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 switch as quick as possible. But what are your thoughts on realtors and 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 realtor pressure? Totally agreed. Um, it's your money. It's your purchase. It's your relationship. Um, you don't like the person you're working with. Tell them to take a hike and get a new one. Perfect. Perfectly said. So I guess to recap for today, I think the big takeaway for me, if I had to kind of give one piece of advice, really sit down and take the time. And it could be less than 10 minutes to figure out how much you can afford. So forgetting about what you want out of the home, first and foremost, sit down and figure out this is how much we make as a family this is how much i want to go towards a monthly payment this is the cap on the real estate taxes i want to pay these are the kind of things that even before your wish list of items in the home i think you really have to sit down and figure out what is that magic number what is that number of how much you can afford including your down payment all those different pieces so jody what is your takeaway from today I think, again, just do your research. Whenever you're buying a house, don't get house fever. Don't get emotional about it. Um, it's 
it's fun to, I think it can be fun to shop for real estate, you know, and to get excited about it. And you want to be excited about it. You do want to try to make it fun. Um, but balance it off with facts, balance it off with research. Don't get house fever about stuff. Um, if something doesn't go right or doesn't feel right with this purchase, remember it's the biggest purchase you're going to make. And you're, when you get in it, you know, houses are like lobster pots, easier to get into than to get out of. Um, don't make a bad decision um, because you're all ramped up about something. Um, sleep on it. Walk away. Uh, do whatever you got to do. Don't feel the pressure, Paul, that you described. Don't get don't feel pressure from anybody. Don't. As soon as someone says, you know, a realtor or whoever says, oh, you got to do it now. or It's not going to work. Fine. Walk away. Just walk away. Because unless you know it's right and you've made the factual, uh, the investment in the in the fact finding around the thing, don't feel pressured to make that impulse buy. God, don't impulse buy a house. Can you imagine impulse buying a house? <laughs> might might be nice if you have that kind of cash to lay down, but uh, but uh, you know, don't don't impulse buy a house. Make a really make the wisest decision that you can make. And 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 go back to that phrase, Paul, because I'm, I'm I keep thinking about it. Right size yourself. Right sizing means right for you. Very well put. Very well put. So I guess with that, we'll, we'll end the podcast today. For those of you that are listening, you're going to hear a new outro. So please enjoy. And uh, with that, thanks everyone for listening. And, uh, and, we'll, and uh, we're looking forward to the next podcast. This has been the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Pitcher. You can email questions, comments, and feedback to financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just search for Financial Dad. And remember, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a great week, everybody, and thank you.